like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Stories told of a king who was discontented. In fact, he was so, so worried that he couldn't sleep at night. And so he asked his wise men what he should do. One very old and very wise man said, find a man in your kingdom who is content and then wear his shirt for a day and a night and you will be content. Well, that sounded good to the king, so he ordered his servants to search for just such a person. And several weeks later, his servants returned. Well, asked the king, did you find a contented man? Yes, sir, his servants replied. Where is his shirt? Your majesty, he didn't have one. Can a man with no shirt be more content than a king? With a closet full of them? What is it that makes a person content? Well, our passage this morning contains the keys to contentment. And I think it raises three questions that we all need to be asking ourselves. I've listed those in your bulletin. Question number one has to do with covetousness. And the question is, what do you want What do you love? What do you long for? Look at verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Have you ever thought that if you had more stuff, you'd be happier? If I just had a new car or a new stereo or new clothes or more money, then I would be content. But you know, the fact is, you probably have more stuff now than you ever had before. In fact, think about it. The richest people a hundred years ago, the richest people before the year 1900 didn't drive their own car, didn't have a washing machine, didn't have a telephone, didn't have a microwave oven, didn't have a television or even a radio. They weren't choosing between satellite and cable. They didn't have a computer or Internet access. They didn't even have electricity. They didn't have indoor bathrooms. They didn't complain when there wasn't hot water in the shower. They didn't even have a shower. Our generation has more stuff than any generation before us. But are we happier? Are we more content? No. Because you see, contentment is actually found in the opposite direction of stuff. In fact, not only does the Bible tell us that stuff won't make us content, it tells us that we have to free ourselves from the love of stuff in order to be content. Now, why does loving money keep you from being content? Well, let me give you several reasons. Reason number one is because covetousness is idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 says that a covetous man is an idolater. Colossians 3.5 says that greed amounts to idolatry. Now, why is that? Because when you are loving money, you are not loving God. 
Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, you can't do both. Either you love God and hate money or you love money And you hate God. Covetousness is idolatry. Let me give you a second reason why loving money keeps us from being content. Because money never satisfies. It's a real simple verse in Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now there's a verse you probably ought to write out and tape on your mirror. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. The philosopher Immanuel Kant made this observation. Give a man everything he wants. And at that moment, everything will not be everything. Now, he said a lot of stupid things, but that's pretty profound. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor said, I am the most miserable, miserable, miserable man on the earth. And Henry Ford said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie observed, millionaires seldom smile. And Proverbs 30:15 says, "The leech has two daughters. Give and give." When you start saying, "I'm the leech, I'm going to gather," you end up saying, "Give me more, give me more, give me more," because it never satisfies. It's like Jesus said, "All who drink from this well will thirst again. Everyone who drinks from the well of covetousness." will thirst again. Third reason why loving money keeps me from being content is because a covetous person is a deceived person. Jesus called it in Matthew 13:22 the deceitfulness of riches. We naturally believe that riches will make us happy, but when we get them, the reality is that we're not happy. We have been deceived. And we are bombarded by advertising on television, on billboards, in catalogs designed to make us think, I need this product to be happy. Did you see the the commercial for the new Lexus? You push a button and it parallel parks itself. Finally! Do you know how much trouble it has been to actually have to turn the power steering wheel to park the car? I cannot be content until I get one. Of course, I think the sticker was $93,000, so I may have to wait a while. Henry Kissinger observed, to Americans, tragedy is usually wanting something very badly and not getting it. 
Many people have had to learn in their private lives and nations have had to learn in their historical experience that perhaps the worst form of tragedy is wanting something badly, getting it and finding it empty. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Fourth reason why loving money keeps me from being content is because covetousness chokes out spiritual vitality. In the parable of the sower, Jesus warned that the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things come in and choke the Word and make it unfruitful. Desiring, loving things, loving money, chokes out the Word, chokes out my spiritual vitality. When Israel was in the wilderness, they craved intensely for meat. We're tired of this bread every day. We want some meat. The Bible tells us that God sent them meat, but with it, Psalm 106.15 says they also got leanness of soul. Fifth reason why loving money keeps me from being content is because covetousness breeds arrogance. In 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Why? Because stuff can make you proud. When you get something new, what's the first thing you want to do? Hey, come over and see my stuff. Look at my new Lexus. It parks itself. I don't know how to operate it, but... Sixth reason why loving money keeps me from being content is because money is uncertain. First Timothy six seventeen, Paul warns us not to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. Plenty of yesterday's multimillionaires are bankrupt today because money is uncertain. Proverbs 23.5 says, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I've got money. I'm trying to hold on to it. What can happen? It sprouts wings and it flies away. It's uncertain. Seventh reason that loving money keeps me from being content is because the love of money is the root of all evil. We read that in 1 Timothy 6.10. In fact, it's interesting that the last of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not covet. And it's different than the other nine. The first nine commandments are all about outward actions. This last commandment is an inward heart attitude. And it's connected to all the others because coveting leads to lying. Coveting leads to stealing. It leads to murder. It leads to adultery. It is the root of all evil. And then an eighth reason why loving money keeps me from being content is because covetousness can bring about one's destruction. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation 
and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And we see plenty of its destruction in the Bible. Read about Balaam, 2 Peter 2.15 says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Read about Achan who coveted the spoil at Jericho in Joshua chapter 7. Read about Ahab who coveted Naboth's vineyard. Read about David who coveted Uriah's wife. Read about Judas Iscariot. Read about Ananias and Sapphira. Read about Demas. It says of him in 2 Timothy 4.10, he loved this present world. Read about Gehazi, Elisha's servant in 2 Kings chapter 5, who coveted Naaman's riches. And what did he end up getting? He got Naaman's leprosy. Loving riches leads to destruction. And so the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 and verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul prophesied that in the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. I believe that prophecy is being fulfilled today. In our culture, covetousness and greed are not only excused, they are actually admired. When someone is very covetous and very greedy, we say he has ambition. There are a lot of companies today that are looking for a few covetous men. But don't be fooled. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11 to flee from the love of money. Jesus said in Luke 12.15, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, the good life is not found in possessions. Abundant life is not found in abundance. In fact, in Mark 8.36, Jesus said, What good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? So the first key to contentment is to ask the question, What do you want? And if your answer is all about riches and possessions, then you will never find contentment. There. You'll be singing along with the Rolling Stones. I can't get no. I can't get no satisfaction because contentment is not found there. Now, let me make two clarifications before we move on to the second point. Clarification number one, the Bible does not say that money is bad. It says that loving money is bad. In fact, money is a blessing from God. Psalm 112 says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Wealth and riches are in his house. Money is a blessing from God. Secondly, money is a gift for us to enjoy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world to get rid of that stuff because it's bad. No. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God has given us money to enjoy. 
Thirdly, money is a resource for eternal investments. First Timothy six eighteen and 19 says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. God gives us money so that we can use it to invest in eternal blessings. And then money is a tool for worship. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul calls monetary giving a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. It's part of my worship to use the tool of money to give praise to God. So it's not wrong to have money, it's wrong to love money. And then let me make a second clarification. This verse is not endorsing laziness. If I come to you and say, why why don't you work? And you say, well, it's because I don't love money. That's not the point of this passage. In fact, the Bible not only condemns loving money, it also condemns laziness and calls us to work to provide for our family's needs and our own needs. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In 2 Timothy 3, 10, he says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Now, let's look at the second point. The second question deals directly with contentment. And that question is, what do you need? Look at the middle of verse five. Being content with what you have. You say, but Dan, I don't have much. Well, neither did these people. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34, the writer says that you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. These people had had their houses and lands taken away. So they didn't have much. You see, he's not saying be content if you have a lot. He's saying be content with whatever you have or don't have. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You know where he was when he wrote that verse? He was in prison. Now that tells me two things. Number one, it tells me that contentment is not tied to circumstances. And number two, it tells me that contentment can be learned. I have learned contentment. A Jewish man in Hungary went to his rabbi and complained that life was unbearable. There were nine of them living in a one-room house. He said, what can I do? And the rabbi answered, take this goat home with you and put it in the room. Well, the man was incredulous, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in a week. Well, a week later, the man returned looking more distraught than ever. He said, we can't stand it. This goat is filthy and it stinks. The rabbi said, well, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned radiant, explaining, life is wonderful. We enjoy every minute of it now that we got rid of that goat. There's only nine of us. You see, contentment 
is more a matter of our perspective than it is our circumstances. How do I become content with what I have? How do I learn the proper perspective? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Number one, shorten your need list. Did you know that you really only have two essential physical needs? If you read what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 to 33, he says there are two things we don't have to worry about. And those two things are food and clothing. Why those two things? Because those are the two basic physical needs. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8. He said, if you have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. If you've got food and clothing, you've got everything you need to be content. You say, but I didn't read in there anything about a house. Well, that's not an essential need. Did Jesus have a house? No. Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. How many times do we say, I need this. I need that. How long is your need list? See, the Bible tells us that anything more than food and clothes is a luxury. And Paul didn't even always get those two things. Because he said in 2 Corinthians 11, 27, that he was in hunger and thirst, often without food, In cold and nakedness. Often without food and naked. He didn't even have these two basic physical needs. And he was still content. See, that's why Jesus said that you're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because that's half of your need list. And when we see how little we really need then we'll see how rich we really are and we'll be content with whatever we have. Second suggestion for how to be content with what you have is to realize you can't take it with you. In 1 Timothy 6-7, Paul says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's pretty clear. You weren't born with a wallet and a suitcase. And you're not going out with a wallet and a suitcase. If you're going to be content, you need to remember that material things are only temporary. You can't take them with you. Remember what Job said in Job 121. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. Stories told of a rich man who saw a fisherman relaxing by his boat. He said, why aren't you out fishing? Fisherman said, oh, I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch more fish? What would I do with them? Rather impatient, the rich man said, well, you could earn more money and buy a better boat. 
so that you, you could go out deeper and catch bigger fish. And then you could buy nylon nets and catch even more fish and make more money. So then you could have lots of boats and be rich like me. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? Third suggestion for how to be content. Put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Jesus plainly taught in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a principle. Your heart follows your treasure. Now, I only have one stock. And let me, before I talk about stocks, I know some Christians think, you know, buying stock is like gambling. Well, it's very different from gambling. Gambling is risking your money on chance. The stock market is investing in people who are working. It's a big difference. But I only own one stock. And it's a stock that my dad came to me a few years ago and said, you need to buy this stock. So I took $8,000 out of my retirement money and I bought this stock at $1.35 a share. I kind of didn't pay attention to it for a while, and, and uh, next thing I knew, it was down to $0.30 cents a share. Uh, I saw my money leaving rapidly. Um, so my dad came to me and he said, you know, I know I told you buy this stock. I still believe in the stock. But if the stock goes belly up, I'll, I'll give you back your $8,000. Well, then my dad died. And I told my mom and brothers this story, and they just laughed at me. (laughs) They wanted to know if I had anything in writing. (laughs) But you know, about three months after my dad passed away, the stock started going up. Uh, It started climbing, and and today it's worth $2.78 a share. It has doubled in value. You know how I know how my stock is doing? I have a link on my computer to the financial page for my one stock. And probably not a day goes by that I don't check and see how my stock is. Is doing. You see, my heart is in that company because I have invested in that company. And if you want your heart to be on eternal things, then invest your treasure there. If you start supporting a missionary in China, then when you see an article in the paper about how Christians are being mistreated in China, guess what? You're going to read the article. And you're going to be praying about the church over there and that missionary over there. And you're going to be corresponding to find out how he or she is doing because you have invested in that person and your heart follows your treasure. Fourth suggestion on how to be content is to live in light of eternity. Greed is always short-sighted. It focuses on this life only. You go to a person on their deathbed and offer them a billion dollars. 
I mean, they may take it and want to give it to their kids, but they have, that is of no value to a person on their deathbed. You see, death isn't a pretty good chance. It's a certainty. And when you die, you leave it all behind. Like the fellow who was discussing the recent death of a very wealthy man, and he said, how much did he leave behind? And his friend said, all of it. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can invest in the bank of heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In fact, Jesus told a rather unusual parable in Luke 16 about an unrighteous steward who knew that he was going to get fired. And so he quickly used what he had in terms of resources to make friends for himself for the future. And Jesus applied that parable this way in verse 9. He says, and I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, he didn't say if it fails. He said when it fails. Money will fail us at death if not sooner. But Jesus is telling us to use unrighteous money now to make friends for eternity. Use your money that undoubtedly will fail to invest in something that will never fail, namely bringing people to heaven. Fifth suggestion for how to be content. Make it your aim to give more and accumulate less. Make it your ambition to give more not accumulate more. You see, the antidote to greed is giving. So if you have a problem with loving money, just give more of it away. George Mueller was a man who lived simply and gave away the rest. For many years, he almost single-handedly supported the entire staff of 33 missionaries with the China Inland Mission. In fact, in his book, George Mueller of Bristol, A.T. Pearson, says that in a typical year, Mueller lived on 8% of his income and gave away 92%. George Mueller could have been a wealthy man living lavishly, but he chose instead to give more and accumulate less. In fact, the Bible indicates that God often blesses us with material blessings so that we will be able to give more. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every new toy. No. So that you may have an abundance for every good deed. When God blesses you with more, are you giving more or are you accumulating more? And then let me add one more suggestion. Ask yourself, what do I deserve? 
See, take, take your want list and your need list and review it in light of the question, what do I deserve? And I guarantee you it will shorten your list. Because if you believe the Bible, then what you deserve is eternal judgment. And when you understand that what you deserve is eternal judgment, then you will realize that anything you get is more than you deserve. And you can be content with whatever. You will be saying with Jacob in Genesis 32.10, I am not worthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. That's the attitude of contentment. Which brings us to the final point. And we'll look at it briefly. And that deals with confidence. Who are you trusting? You see, the keys to contentment have to do with what do you want, what do you need, but most importantly, who are you trusting? Because if you don't get the answer right to this last one, then you're not going to be able to answer right on the first two. Notice the end of verse 5. For he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's quite a promise. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And I love the way he puts this. He says, he himself has said. This is a personal promise from God to you. And really, our English translators don't fully capture the Greek rendering here because in the Greek language, there are five negatives in this statement. It's probably best captured in the rendering of the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Listen to what the hymn writer said. Speaking, God speaking, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I never, no, never, no, never forsake. You see, when I understand that promise, that he's with me, that he'll never desert me, he'll never forsake me, then I can be content in any and every circumstance. I may lose all my money. I may lose all my health. I may lose all of my family. But God Himself remains. He will never desert you. And having God is all you need for contentment. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then right after that, He said, apart from money, you can do nothing. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. When I've got a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ who will never desert me and never forsake me, then I have no reason ever to be discontented. So the question is, who are you trusting? Are you trusting your bank account? Are you trusting the stock market? Are you trusting your job security? Here is the statement of contentment. Look at verse 6. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do 
to me. Can you say that with confidence? The Lord will never desert me and never forsake me, so I will never be afraid. The person who can say that is content. I fear nothing except the Lord who will never desert me. Let me give you a little contentment barometer. That's how you can tell if you're content or not. The discontented person complains. Discontented person is like the children of Israel in the wilderness. They're always complaining about something. Something's not right. The contented person is thankful. The discontented person worries. The contented person has peace. That person says, if God can take care of the birds and the lilies of the field, then He can take care of my needs. That person says in the words of verse 6, I will not be afraid. Peace. The discontented person is not happy. No matter how many riches they have, the contented person has joy. So the contented person is thankful and peaceful and joyful no matter what the circumstances. That person has discovered the keys to contentment. Avoid covetousness, learn contentment, have confidence in God's presence and His promises. A Puritan sat down to his meal and found that he only had a little piece of bread and some water. His response was to exclaim, What? All this and Jesus Christ too? That's contentment. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for this passage that deals with such a practical area in our life. That area of being content, of being satisfied. And Father, help us to understand the truth that's found here. That though our culture says we have to have more stuff to be content, the reality is we have to have You to be content. And the stuff can come or go. The stuff is temporary. The stuff is all passing. Contentment comes with having a relationship with You through the Lord Jesus Christ by which we claim Your presence and Your promises that You will never desert us. You will never forsake us. And Father, I pray that You would fill Your people today with that kind of peace and that kind of confidence by Your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.